Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in lovely Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And if that sounded like a yawn, it probably was because <laughs> Kobus himself just got off the plane all the way back from Brazil. So we're actually very grateful that you're still uh, coherent. But if we if we hear Kobus yawn a little bit during the show, we'll know why he's doing that. Uh, and then a very good afternoon to uh, in London to Sam Paranti, who is a freelance uh, producer and journalist with the the BBC, and joins us today to talk about hair. So a very good afternoon to you, Sam. Good afternoon, Eric. And uh, and and I, I'm I'm not sure if that's the you know the best way to introduce you in your whole reporting career. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever said. And here's Sam to talk about hair. But uh, Sam wrote a, wrote a piece, wrote and uh, did an audio piece for the BBC. Uh, you can find it uh, on the BBC website at bbc.com. And and it's titled. It's got the best title of the week of all the news that I've read. The salons that hope you can't tell goats and humans apart. Uh, and then he also did a an audio piece for uh, the BBC's excellent program from our own correspondent. And we're talking about hair today. And this is actually a very very sensitive issue. So we we kind of start on it on a, on a light note. But hair in Sino African relations, believe it or not, is actually a rather important issue. Uh, let's go back to 2010 in Namibia, Kobus. Uh, if you'll recall that. Uh, the Namibian government banned hair salons uh, in the capital in Windhoek. And this was uh, done in part because uh, hair salons are one of the only kind of areas of employment for certain kinds of, of women who, who don't have a lot of skills and don't have a lot of education. And the Chinese were coming into the hair salon business. And once again, that took this big kind of metaphor for what the broader Sino-African relation is like. Now we're going to go to the Chinese side of things. And Sam wandered through parts of South Central uh, China in Hunan province, and then later in the big uh, city of Guangzhou in Southern China, and discovered that there's a thriving business in hair extension. So I guess my question for you, Sam, is I've looked through your background and your profile, and you seem to be a rather kind of innovative reporter. You've done stuff for Al Jazeera, the Christian Science Monitor, Le Monde, you know, big, serious subjects. How did hair come onto your radar? Um, no, thanks, Eric. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a strange story, really. I mean, I was uh, doing some research in, in Guangzhou. I spent quite a bit of time there. Um, and uh, I was just wandering around uh, a place called San Yuan Li, which is um, one of the two kind of main areas where many of the African trading community lives um, in Guangzhou. And, and in San Yuan Li, there's this huge huge beauty market you can't miss it i mean it's and when you walk when you walk through the area people are kind of loads of people are coming in and out of it um and it, what's fascinating um about this beauty market is that you just have these this whole floor dedicated to certain types of of beauty and one of them happened to be hair and so you kind of wander around um this 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 floor and it's just covered with with shops hair lying all over the place people kind of toing and throwing different wigs on um and more than anything i, I was just intrigued um and, and then i started asking questions um more that really that's that that's how i kind of got into it um sam just, just to get to to the elephant in the room in, in in your story um i think a lot of africans will be surprised and appalled um that some of the hair that you found that some, some of this hair is actually not human hair it's actually goat hair <laughs> yeah well no so what you find when you go into the into the many of these little shops uh in in the in the beauty market there are, all of the hair is labeled up um as as all of it as human hair but um 
uh, from different countries. So from some of so Brazilian, Indian, um, uh, and then Chinese as well. But um, you know they don't they don't tell you that it is um, that in fact part of it is is goat hair, and part of that has come from the fact that many Chinese. Um, Chinese uh, traders who are working in this beauty market, um, they can't afford to buy uh, the, the hair at the, at the current price because labour costs and, and, and living costs have gone up so much in China over the past few years um, that you know they can't afford, nobody's buying the product at the prices they would have to sell it at. So ways of getting around it is by incorporating hair which is cheaper to get hold of um, and that happens to be either synthetic hair or goat hair, um, and, and, uh, which is a rather, it's rather bizarre. But I, I, I went to uh, Hunan province to, to find out where this, what I thought was just where the, the hair extensions were being processed once they'd been cut from, from people's heads. But um, a rather amusing part of the story is when I went to one of, one of the villages um, to find out, to meet some of these people who had their hair cut, um, I did notice a lot of um, naked goats walking around. <laughs> so that was um, your first clue that something was amiss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it, it struck me that, um, uh, that, that that was slightly odd. Um, but then you kind of, when you walk around the, some of the back streets of some of these little villages, um, there's just hair lined. The streets are literally covered in hair. Yeah. Um, a lot of it quite short. Um, and then, so you either have a human hair, which is quite long, or the, or the, or the, the goat hair, which is quite short, which they then um, stick together to make it look like it's longer. Well, walk us through the the production process and and how it starts in Hunan and ends up in Kampala, and and you kind of detailed <laughs> a little bit through uh, you know through Guangzhou and the buyers that came into Guangzhou. Talk, walk us through the whole the whole kind of chain that it works. Sure. Um, so uh, in this particular part of uh, Hunan, um, there there is a there is a man who goes round on a bicycle, uh, and he he rings his his he rings his bell, um, and then if anybody that's a sign that if anybody wants to come and have their hair cut, they come outside, um, and he exchanges um, the hair for a certain amount of money. Um, then that hair gets transported to um, small factories. Um, local factories um, where the hair is kind of is kind of put, like packaged together and um, has a hairband tied onto it um, and then gets um, shipped off to larger factories um, uh, in the bigger cities in Hunan uh, where it is then packaged uh, and, it, and it goes through this long I, I got taken through a, I went to one of these factories and it's a it's a, a rather long process. Um, where it, where it has to be treated in, in so many different ways, and then it gets yeah, and then before it goes into the packaging, um, and then that gets um, taken to some of the either gets delivered to uh, some of the in, directly to their international buyers, or it goes to uh, markets in some of the bigger cities like Guangzhou or Beijing, um, and. The, the the particular set of hair that I followed went to to Guangzhou, um, where there is, um, as as many of you well know, is a large transient African community, um, and then when it's there, uh, what happens 
is that lots of the, um, the, the hair gets delivered to this huge beauty market. Um, and then in the beauty market, uh, lots of traders from, from all over the continent. But actually, there's a the significant, the majority, in fact, the majority of tra- traders I met um, in, uh, in the exclusive market were from, from Lucifer in Africa, but they were also, you know, um, uh, they're from all over the continent. Um, and they, were, they would then buy the hair um, in whatever quantity they could afford um, and then take it, take it home. Um, either in their suitcases or they'd have it shipped home depending obviously depending on the quantity how much they could get on the plane a lot of the time the the um you can pay for you can pay for a trip by simply buying a suitcase full of hair in that you buy it for i don't know say uh three hundred dollars and you and you can triple your money and so I met uh, a woman from Uganda called Marie who uh bought a lot of a lot a lot of this hair and she was saying to me that she makes she can triple her money triple her money when she gets back home to Kampala um so that that's that's the kind of, that's the that's the main journey and i think interestingly i think it's really important to to understand that these are kind of you know individual actors you know that are just these are women who go out of, and it's always always um women in in these beauty markets um they uh so sorry to yep. interrupt you. It's it's just from the African side. It's then so interesting to then to, to trace it on, because you know in in South Africa, for example, um, doing doing um, hair extension is a very is a very specialized job. So you have these women from West Africa who who actually travel from West Africa to South Africa, um, and then they set up these ex, these extension stalls frequently on the streets in in inner city Johannesburg, um, and then women from all over Johannesburg actually frequently from quite rich areas of Johannesburg travel to these particular weavers to come and have their hair done like once every six weeks or so and it actually is really expensive like you could mm. like women women I know easily spend 1500 2000 US dollars per every six weeks on, on a weave um, and you know kind of a lot of it you know goes with the with the logic that this is Indian hair or or Brazilian hair um, but it also it's you know kind of the styles and the, the, the kind of hair consistency and, and the, the kind of dyeing that the hair undergoes is very influenced by African American fashion um, so you have this very interesting kind of cycle of of kind of symbolic cycle of of circulation of images of what's fashionable but it's completely you know kind of it it also supports this actual circulation of of actual you know kind of chinese products and chinese hair kind of all all the way to africa and 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 so on it's really interesting well so sam the the weavers that kobus is talking about uh, are using hair that comes from people uh, like a woman who you met in Guangzhou in one of the markets named Lily. And Lily is a a, a broker, I, I get the impression, and you introduced her to us in your from our own correspondence story, and you told a little bit of her backstory. Let's take a listen to Lily's story from Guangzhou, and then we'll get into some of the details about who she is and how her hair makes it all the way to South Africa. Towards the end of a busy day, I ask shop owner Lily how her business is doing. It's okay, she says. We used to sell to Europe and America. But now nearly 100% of my clients are in Africa. Lily shows me a list of the nationalities of the traders she sells to. Of the 39 countries on the list, 37 are in Africa, reflecting the large African community in this city. 
So tell us about Lily and the challenges that she's facing, because if Cobus is saying that, you know, the markups are extraordinarily high, the money's being made, but it's not necessarily being made by the likes of Lily. Tell us her story. Sure. So she owns um, a little store within this huge beauty market. Um, and she has connections to a factory um, in, in Hunan province. Uh, and her story is basically that she, for maybe um, five or six years, um, she's built up enough connections within her store that um, many of her clients, um, all of whom, uh, or no, sorry, rather the majority of whom are from the African continent, um, who come back again and again and again to purchase their hair there. But she, I mean, it's diff- it, you're, you're, you're right in the sense that it is really difficult for her to make a significant um, amount of money because the margins in terms of what she buys um, and then what she sells it for um, really, really don't seem to be um, that significant in terms of making any kind of profit. Um, but, uh, you know, she, she makes enough to, to keep her store going. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and she, and, and she, and, you know, she's built up relationships with well, what I found particularly interesting was, um, and I guess a broader thing about more the, the, the African community based in Guangzhou is, is that's an incredibly important part of the China Africa relationship, really significant in that when, when you have levels of interaction and friendships that build up, you know, that initially start as kind of business transactions or whatever, um, it, it, it creates, it changes the images or the perceptions that many people have in particular, particularly in, in, in China, the perception um, of, of many of the African community, it doesn't tend to be a, to be a good one, mm. um, but 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 what's really interesting I found was the relationships and the friendships that have built up that create long-lasting, you know, sustainable relationships, um, which is which is obviously you know it's 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 very different to that of the the what's perceived as the you know the main kind of ideas in the China-Africa relationship. One of you know I don't know based on resources, for example, yeah. where you know it, it, it's it's very much based on. And what's available on the ground, and and, and that's it. But the, but but this is I, I found particularly fascinating and a, and a nicer side to the story that adds a real kind of nuance to the. Yeah, to I the mean, I, I couldn't agree more in that. I think it, in many ways, it speaks to a, a lot about the China-Africa relationship and a lot about the, that relationship that people misunderstand. Is that I think when most people look at these two regions trading, they see the $200 billion in, in annual trade between. They see these big projects. They see, you know, the, this this massive relationship that's forming when so much of it is done on this very personal, intimate, individual level. And and what I thought was so interesting was there's also this perception that the relationship is always an exploitative one. And to see Lily, who is scraping by without an, an enormous amount of profit, facing cost pressures that are enormous, I think speaks to a lot of the the African, uh, the Chinese side of of what they sell to places like Africa, and how irony of all ironies, the Chinese who have a reputation of being brutal negotiators, you know, people call them cheap and and you know just always fighting for the last penny, and and you kind of pointed out that that's what the Chinese think of of the Africans they're doing business with, and and so it shows you the complexities of this relationship. And Kobus, you know, I see in, when I was reading Sam's piece and listening to it. I saw much of what we talk about over the years kind of take shape in these very micro relationships. And I was interested to kind of get your your view on on, on, on that picture of what Sam, the paint, the, the picture that Sam painted in, in Guangzhou and Hunan. 
what really struck me was that it's so much of what's being sold and the kind of the kind of particular hair that's being sold and, and, and traded is that all of that is driven by African taste. Um, you know, so I think one of the kind of massive misconceptions about, about China Africa trade is that it's, you know, it's, it's all shaped by African poverty um, and that, you know, kind of a beggars can't be choosers kind of logic, you know, that, that Africans really can't demand anything um, or can't, you don't really have any agency in, in in shaping you know kind of what is being traded and i think one of the the big misconceptions um that is is that there is no luxury market in africa and and that's just wrong you know kind of um africa is is a is a very important emerging luxury market and in fact i've recently read um a very interesting very interesting research that louis vuitton and prada um, and related shops are actually scouting hard around at various African markets, looking for new new places to open shops. They're, they've already they have shops in um, in South Africa, and they're apparently going to be opening a bunch of them in um, in Lagos soon. Hmm. Wow. Um, and apparently, also now. Nigerians are the third biggest shoppers in London. Um, you know, kind of. So it's really interesting to see how how this kind of you know, you know kind of luxury branded luxury is is exploding in the African market. Yeah. Um, and um, so you know, Sam, in in looking at all of at, at all of this, did you? see um, a kind of a distinction in quality was was there a, a, a real range in kind of for going from cheap hair to super expensive hair um or you know is is are the chinese only fitting into a larger kind of hair market you know with india and brazil and so on i'm not exactly sure you know how much of, of stuff that are labeled as brazilian hair really do come from brazil yeah, well, well that, that's another thing in that a lot of the hair that's labelled as being from Brazil or being from India, it tends to not be. Oh, come um, on. How of, much, of course none I'm... of it came from Brazil or India. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's just kind of be honest here. I mean, there's no way. Oh, that... on, I'm, I'm being nice. You are um, being nice. But, um, but, but, <laughs> but, but, but I, think, I, think, I think what's, what's um, interesting, uh, the major, what the, there's a kind of, a difference in terms of the, the prices of, a, of, a, of the hair in the within the, the markets that I was in, for example, um, in that uh, it was all uh, pretty. I mean, there were slight variations. I mean, Brazilian is meant to be more expensive than the Chinese hair, even though it is all from you know it's all Chinese hair um, or goat hair, um, uh, and so uh, the, there wasn't much variation in, in that sense. Um, but I, I think. What's really interesting um, in in terms of this idea of you know if you go to somewhere like Yiru, um, just further on from Guangzhou, um, you have that's where you have the the cheapest. So you can also buy hair there, but you can also buy products that you can buy in Guangzhou, but even cheaper, um, which is in which is in Yiru. Um, the, and, and 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 I think there's there's a big difference there in terms of the quality of products that you're able to get to, and, and you you as a as a um, trader, many of the traders I met, you make, you make a definite choice as to, uh, depending on where you go, depending on what kind of quality of goods that you want. So people will go to Guangzhou to get a best, better quality of good, whether that be hair, whether that be, I don't know, building materials or whatever, um, knowing that you're going to get a better quality than whether you, mm -hmm. the, and if you do, if you go to Yiwu, for example. Well, the, the other character that you brought up in your story was Marie, who you mentioned earlier in the show here. And Marie was a, a Ugandan buyer 
uh, and, and when you asked her and you said, you know that this is not all real, she says, of course we know. I mean, we're not stupid. And, and what that brought up, and let me just talk about the proverbial, I guess, the goat in the room, um, is that, well, we've talked about, you know, how the, this, is, this story represents the wonderful part of the China-Africa relationship. In some ways, it, it really also speaks to the insidious part of this relationship. And and the 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 presence and the and how how just the ubiquity of counterfeit goods from China that that flood the African market and that Africans complain bitterly about and what we have here is a lie, in many senses that you know and I've been in Chinese factories where you see the the made in Chile the made in Italy the made in France you know and they just stitch it on and there you go. Um, you're saying here that there's a lot there's a lie there there you know the scales are are are, are tilted in the Chinese favors. The, the branding is not really Brazilian. It's not made in, in, in Italy or anywhere else. Um, and I guess I wanted to kind of get your take on, on that, the, the, the more negative side of it, and, and the fact that this is a lie in many respects of what they're selling. Whether the Africans know it or not, that's not really the point. Mm, no, I, I, yeah, no, I completely see that. I think, um, I, I think the, the key thing here is that, that people are seeing an opportunity to make a lot, and a lot of money. Um, and and are, and are doing that you know, frequently, um, but but at the same time, you know, speaking to people, and um, whether that be in Kampala or, or Lagos or wherever, I mean, you, you're absolutely right. People complain again and again about Chinese goods not being up to standard. But I th- I think that's that's also changing, you know, to an extent. Um, in that the you know with right with, with I mean, so I went to a couple of factories in in Hunan. Um, and what I found really, really interesting was um, the, 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 I went to two factories which were very, very different. One which was um, what uh, the, the perception of a Chinese factory um, would be, which is lots of people crammed in the room, um, in very dark room, no windows, um, uh, poor working conditions. Um, and, and the goods they were producing um, were to be sold for quite a cheap price. But then I went to another factory which was, I mean, I, it took me, it really took me by surprise in that it, every person had their own um, glass cubicle with um, air conditioning unit, a water dispenser. Um, it was, I mean, and, and the you know, people would bring you know, coffee and food whenever they wanted it. Um, and they were producing goods which were really, really, really high end. Um, and I, I think that's something that, again, um, gets lost in a lot of the, um, I guess the yeah. the easy conversation, which is that you know it's all you know bad, you know, or, or perhaps poor quality goods that are being sold back to the African continent. Um, but I, I saw I, I saw both sides yeah. of that. Well, it, it's funny, and, and hair really does this story encapsulates so much of what is good and bad and the complexity of the Sino-African relationship. And I think that is fantastic. And that's why we're just so thrilled to have you on the show today. Sam, thank you so much. Let's try to point everybody to the article. Head over to the BBC website at bbc.com. Take a look for Sam Peranti, P-I-R-A-N-T-Y. The salons that hope you can't tell the goats and humans apart. There's both a, a text article as well as an audio piece. Uh, we've post, posted a link to the text article just uh, already up on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 
China Africa Project. Kobus and I are updating that page uh, almost uh, 24 hours a day, actually, now. Kobus over in Africa. I'm over here in Asia. And uh, so we've got a link up there. You can check it out. Uh, almost a quarter of a million people are, are, are following our discussions every day. And we'd love to hear from you as well. Uh, once again, Facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Sam, at the end of every show, one of the things we like to do is drop people off at the front door of your social media presence. And uh, just so people can stay in touch with what you're reading and writing, what's the best way that they can stay in touch with you? Uh, sure. Well, I've got a Twitter, which is um, at Sam Peranti, and, and also a blog, which is um, just samperanti.wordpress.com. Excellent. And Cobus, what's the best way people can connect with you? Um, I'm on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And uh, again, uh, Twitter, Facebook, those are great places for us. Uh, but if you want to follow this podcast, the best way to do it is head over to iTunes. Just look for us under China Africa Project. We're also on Stitcher, SoundCloud, any number of different places. You can get us uh, on our mobile app as well. Uh, when you can find us, you can download a link to that right over on our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com. So that's it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>